Tommy. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for coming, brother. Oh, man, this is where it all happens, huh? This is where it all happens. So what do you think as you now have come to the set? How do you feel about it? <sighs> Can't believe I'm, that you chose me to be here. Come on. To be honest. Uh, I mean, I love what you guys are doing. Um, it's definitely a lot different than, you know, I, my mentors are people that have been in business 50 plus years, you know, 20, 50 million dollars a year in revenue. And this just really resonates with me. Um, you know, you're talking to much, um, not so-called smaller guys, but people that are, you know, in my situation that, you know, started uh, recently or, you know, over the past couple of years. And just, you know, listening to them, hearing their successes, um, just really, you know, excites me. It's relatable. Exactly. Yeah. And why I would like to have a guy like you, number one, you're a local guy right here in Manasquan, born and raised in Manasquan. Um, you and your brother were big into sports. Um, you have a great staffing company. Um, we're going to chronologically kind of go through your life, and we'll get back to that. But you have a successful business. You're a great family man. I saw some really pretty modeling pictures of you from around <laughs> Easter down in Florida. Um, I could just tell you're a great guy. Uh, for a while, AJ kept mentioning you. I'm like, well, tell him to call me, you know, and you were, you were kind of a big shot, you know, I know I'm a small P over here, OTB. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now I'm starting to get on people's radar with Evan and I launching Fireside, and um, I'm honored to have you. I know you're busy. You have uh, some children at home, a wife. You're looking to build a house soon. You're very busy. Yes. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I love having you. So I want to kind of get into your life a little bit and you know talk about mainly your career and business. You came out of college, which you went to NYU, great school right here locally in New York City. Um, what year was that that you graduated? Uh, 2008. 2008. Oh, tough year to tough walk year. into the financial market. Correct. I majored in economics. You know, watching the movies, always wanted to be a stockbroker. Thought you know finance was where all the money. It is. Um, so you were playing golf at due process. Or well, I was caddying at due process. Yeah, so I was caddying, uh, making good money, uh, caddying. I'd be the first person to call the caddy master in the morning. Um, and basically, the way it works is like it's not like a spring like golf course or you know where you show up and then you wait to go out. You call the caddy master, you text him, and then he'll text you back or call you a time for you to go out. So um, what I figured out is, the earlier you call them, the earlier you get to go out. And if you get, get you know, if you call them early enough, you get two loops instead of one for the day. See, I want to put a picture around that and package it for people. That is the competitive juice that I see in you. You're quiet. You're kind of laid back. I think if we give you enough vodkas, enough bourbons, <laughs> and shake you up, you come out. But you're really uh, a kind of a stealth guy but you know what you want, you know what you're after. That's the um, athlete in you from my position, reading your, your personality. And that led you to meeting this gentleman that helps you get your job in, in New York City. Correct. Doing finance. So uh, his name was Joe Roselli, or his name is Joe Roselli. Um, Joe's still know, alive? Still alive, older gentleman, uh, bigger guy. Uh, you know, tough to walk a little bit. Um, you know, he always took the golf, golf cart. But I was probably the only person, you know, only caddy that would tee up his ball for him just because, you know, he had trouble bending down. Um, I'd pick the ball up out of the hole for him. Um, did the little things, which to him, I think he really saw that, took a liking. And um, he hooked me up with a, a person that was uh, a partner of an, an investment bank. Um, so I went up to the city, sat down, interviewed. Um, they gave me a couple books to study for the 7, 65, 66. Uh, I spent a couple months studying, passed all, you know, all three parts, or the seven, I got my license for the 7, 65, 66. And then uh, I was working in New York, commuting from Monmouth County. My parents lived in Brielle at the time, um, or they still do. And uh, basically I was institutional sales. So I was calling on um, project managers, analysts at hedge funds. You're trying to get them to do the trade with you. Correct. Um, and to be honest with you, I was doing pretty well at the time, 
not making that much money, um, decent money, learning a lot. Um, but the commute was just too much for me. And I just decided you couldn't pay me enough money to you know, continue to, to do the commute. So uh, at the time, uh, my wife, uh, her sister, was working for a staffing firm called uh, Robert Half. Mm -hmm. She was at the creative group. I sent her my resume just to look at. And you know, next thing I knew, her manager called me. I went in for an interview. I thought I was you know, interviewing for other positions. Um, turns out that you know, they brought me in and they asked me to join their team. Knew nothing about staffing at the time. Uh, I joined account temps. Started off as- Account temps, I think they used to actually staff mega pumps in Eatontown. They probably did. They had like so partial like uh, employees that would come in and do like warehouse factory roles. Correct, so it's temporary, all yeah. temporary. Yeah. Um, so a lot of accounting and finance, but just all temporary staffing. Um, it was in Broadbridge, uh, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., very rigorous program. Taught me everything, you know, first six months, all they do is train. Um, so I learned everything about staffing. I think some of those old school companies, even in the finance space, insurance space, probably yours, that teach you that old school just grind uh, training that is almost kind of annoying and redundant at the time. But as you look back upon it, you're like, wow, that really set me up to do what I'm doing now. But Yeah, and the thing about me is, you know, how I do anything is how I do everything. And I'm a very passionate person. And I'm, once I get like really into something, you're all in. I'm all in. So I was all in at the time. Uh, I learned a heck of a lot really quickly. You know, they saw that. They promoted me a few times. You know, I was making decent money, but I also, you know, realized how much money I was bringing into the company. Um, so I was like, you know what? I could do this on my own and make a heck of a lot more. Talk about that a little bit, though, of being all in. I think a lot of times some of us believe that we're worth more than, than really we are, especially early on in our careers, working for someone or owning a business. But to have that mentality where, you know, you're doing everything they're saying to do and playing the game and working hard on your studying and working hard on actually doing the job, um, I think that's what makes successful people successful. Like, winners always think that they're not doing enough, right? where quote unquote losers are you know, thinking they're doing enough and they're not doing half of what the winners are doing. Um, talk a little bit about that mentality and where it comes from within you. Because I see it in you. So I think it, it relates back to my early childhood playing basketball. I, you know, my dad would always tell me there's someone out there practicing and when you and him meet, he's gonna beat you. And that, I'm telling you, was enough to get me out on that pavement every day. Yeah, but practice. I think that's still something that's just, like, natural, right? Like, my son's like, like, he thinks he can actually take me on. I think you either have that competitive juice or you don't. I think, like, you're a special person where you, like, you have that competitive juice. You may not be as talented as the next guy or as smart as the next guy, although you're obviously very smart. You know, you just have that competitive nature in you. And still to this day, I could see it in you. It has not ever left you. Um, no, I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm definitely stubborn. You know, what I believe in is what I believe in. What, you know, what you see is what you get with me. Um, you know, I don't take no for an answer. I'll just keep going and going and going until I get it. That's just the way I've been my entire life, no matter what. It is, you know, my wife, I went after her. It took me 22 times to call her, of calling her in order to get a you know, first date. And I was as persistent as possible. She didn't think that you were like a stage five clinger and called cops? No, she didn't. It took a long time. But <laughs> How I old were you when you met your wife? Uh, so it was, we actually met on the bus. Well, we, we grew up together. And then we met, up, we met on the bus going up to the city. We both worked in the city at the time. Um, but, you know, I just kept being persistent, 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 and, you know, finally won her over. And people don't realize, I think sometimes in any type of sale or business, and we're jumping around a lot, but I'm trying to pull nuggets out of you. Persistency is not perceived as desperate because guys know that you already have some success. They know that you have a job to do. 
and people who have been there before understand what you're going through currently. So if you're a business owner out there and you're trying to get a new customer or you're trying to close a deal or you're trying to bring on additional sales, you know, make sure that you're being persistent. And again, you don't have to do it in a you know, distasteful way. You could do it respectfully, but persistency has definitely paid off for me as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So we walk through, we go into the temp agency, you then send your resume over to a family member or a friend and you end up at Robert Half. Correct. Let's talk so a little bit with, about Robert Half and what they do. So they do uh, all types of staffing. I was in account temps, which was accounting and finance, but just temporary staffing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's anywhere, you know, short, short to long term staffing, anywhere from one day to nine, 12 months, max. Um, and learned a lot, grew the division became a division director with them. And then, you know, I saw what, you know, what I brought in and what I was making. And I said, I could do this on my own. Uh, always entrepreneurial, you know, minded. Yeah. Um, so I ventured out on my own. Uh, two weeks later, you know, I called up every single client I did business with, you know, after, after I did venture out on my own. And uh, two weeks later, I got served a stack of papers it was Thanksgiving. It was one of the Thanksgivings. And um, I went Cease to court. Cease and desist. Correct. I yeah. went to court. Uh, I looked at the, uh, the judge. He asked me who was representing me. I said, I'm representing myself. He just laughed. He said, son, you, you better get an attorney. Um, so I got an attorney. Uh, to make a long story short, um, they just wanted me to sit out 18 months. Non-compete. Yeah, because I had a non-compete, which... I Which wasn't is bullshit aware of. in the state of New Jersey nowadays. Correct. And I wasn't aware of it. You were young. You didn't even know you even had it in the contract. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, so at that point. Just so you know, I had a similar situation when I left my first financial firm. And they did that because they were afraid of you. Yeah, and the other thing that, that bothered me was I'm like, this is a multi-billion dollar company. And I'm just a young kid trying to make a living. But, you know, they weren't happy that I left. Uh, so I started a summer basketball league. This is kind of getting a little bit off topic. But I started a summer basketball league called SummerSlam. Still goes on. It's a men's league. Um, we play Saturday mornings in Manasquan. And how many, how many teams are in that now? You've been doing that a long time. Uh, so we have about 18 teams this summer. Um, the Manzo said I could play on their team, but they said to ride the bench. What they don't realize is I got fucking moves, dude. <laughs> I'm going to just shake and bake, dude. Shake and bake. It's a really, really good league. Uh -huh. Sounds like it's a lot of fun. Our goal was to make it like a player-oriented league, and we did s such a good job, I'm not just saying that, that we actually put the Belmar League, the men's league, out of business, and I'd say competitively we're just as good as JSBL. That's awesome, Which dude. is a pretty, you know, pretty good thing. So um, you started to run with that kind of when you were laid off and Correct. And Mark Donnelly, he's a Red Bank alum. He played for Davidson. Yep. Big strong guy, you know, good player. Um, he had the real estate guy, which is like a homes and land magazine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at Maria's right on Main Street, the Italian restaurant. Yep. We were drinking and he's like, you know what? Just do let's like create a a car magazine the next eighteen months, you know, while you're just sitting not doing anything. So we came up with a business plan on a bar napkin. Next thing I know, like the next week, we put some marketing together and me and him hit the road and went to every single dealership in Monmouth and Ocean County. Um, we built it. We had about 45 pages every month. Um, we were in all of the Wawa's. Paid ads? Yeah, it was paid ads. So it was about <coughs> 450 a page. We had Gold Coast, we had Lexus, Ray Katina. We had big names. We also had smaller dealerships as well. Um, but what I learned from that was that number one, and you know, you don't think about this when you start a business, but getting paid is very hard. Um, yeah. Corporations, they pay you when they want to pay you. You, know, <coughs> you might put net payment terms of 30 days. Yeah, they uh, pay you on 90. Correct. Yeah. And you have no control. They pay you when, you, when they yeah. want. And you're, you're happy to have their business, so you just kind of take it. Correct. Correct. 
Uh, the other thing is, you know, we were probably doing 12,000 a month gross, but our expenses were eight, you know? So was it really worth it margin-wise? Really wasn't worth it. You learned a lot though. But I learned a lot. Got a lot of contacts. Correct, correct. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize early on when they're going through, even if you're a young blogger to relate it to nowadays, you know, social media, sales, e-com, you may be blogging, you may be having a podcast, and you may not be able to monetize it, but you're grabbing names, and names and relationships is, is money in the future. You may not know how you're going to monetize it later, but it is money, and you were a guy that's obviously great at building relationships, and you were doing so, and you were learning sales. Sales, you know, sometimes gets a negative stigma. It's everything. No business goes without sales. Correct. And to walk into those types of companies like Ray Katina, who is obviously a large entity around here, and be able to sell them on an ad, you know, is a testament to who you are. Well, and the other thing is it's people dread going to a car dealership to buy a car, dealing with, you know, car salesmen. Mm -hmm. um, so doing the magazine, that's like the type of, you know, per, you know, person that I had to deal with on a daily basis. Um, but definitely a great learning experience. Uh, then after the 18 months, obviously I decided to start my own staffing firm. I was um, treading lightly in the beginning. Um, and I'll never forget, I was driving home one day and Mark Donnelly called me and said, you know what? Like in five months, you're gonna be working corporate. And I said, why? He said, because you're not working hard enough. You have no goals, no plan in place to achieve those goals. You're going to be working <coughs> not mapping five. it out. Correct. And honestly, from that call on till this day, it really resonated. You know, it hit home. He, he pretty much, and some people take some of my language literally, but you were being a soft bitch. You Correct. Were not, you were not really getting after it the way you needed to get after it to succeed on your own. Correct. So... And it's funny because to this day, I still use my wife's computer, her college computer. That's because you're cheap, not because no. You're smart. But but I think it's important that people think they need to start a you know start a business and they need all this capital or investors, and that's so far from the truth. You know, I started my company with a a notepad, my wife's computer, and my cell phone. Those are powerful tools nowadays. Correct, and that's, that's a really powerful. That's tools. all you need. Um, you know, and I s started uh, calling. Um, my goal when I first started, after that phone call, was make five thousand. If I can make five thousand a month, I'm good. I don't need to go corporate. And then my goal became ten thousand. And then my goal became fifteen thousand. Then my goal became twenty thousand a month. How old were you at the time? Excuse me. Uh, <coughs> so I started the company eight years ago. So what is that? Uh, 26. And someone also told me that you make your most money in your 30s. 30s and 40s. 30s and 40s? Yeah. So I worked like a, a maniac to make sure I was going to make my money, you know, starting when I was 30. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I've, now my goal is... 35, 40K a month. And it's that's funny just because- That's from you, that's not from any of your employees or anything correct. else. Yeah. It's funny because I start from zero every single month. And every month I'm worried I'm not gonna hit it. And you hit it. And I hit it. And, and every month I worry that I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna do any business. And every month I hit it. But it's funny, it's just something inside me that tells me that- I gotta go, I gotta work correct. harder. I gotta call more people. Correct. It's that, and we talked about it with the, the Manzo guys and many other people. It's that, it's that fear of failure, and that's when you hop out of corporate world and you go into business ownership. There's that shift that all of a sudden, like, the weight of the world is on you, but it's also like, like jet fuel. It also helps you take off. You know, you just become super hyper focused on what you're trying to achieve. And I know for you, you talk a lot about flexibility taking your kids to school, being around for your wife if need be. Um, you know, a lot of things that, that I do and I take advantage of as a business owner. And uh, that's what drives you. And if things are slowing down, you get, you know, dialed in and you get it done. 
Yeah, it's funny because like the end of the month, you know, I'm at 60k for the month, just say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not laxed, but feeling good. Yeah. But once the first of the month happens, the next following month, it's I gotta go. Balls to the wall, yeah. you know. I gotta, I gotta go. I got nothing. You know, I'm starting at zero. And I think that mindset of just starting at zero every month helps a lot. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know if too many people do do that, but I think the successful people do. But let's just let's just talk about this though. A lot of people look down upon sales that start at zero every month, in a sense of you create real wealth while you're sleeping, while you're on a vacation, while you're not working. You know, assets are built by residual income or revenue or income producing properties or assets. What do you say to those types of people? I totally agree. Um, <coughs> It's funny because I have that micromanager, uh, I can do everything type mentality. No way. And uh, I think, I don't have a problem with it. I could live, I could go to bed at night knowing that I'm in control myself. Mm -hmm. But I think now, you know, this far in my career with a family, like that's my next, that's my Is next scaling plan. scaling it? Correct. Either scaling it, or maybe doing something else. Doing other assets. Correct. Yeah. Because yeah. I have that entrepreneurial mind. Um, and anything you get into, you're going to help succeed. That's just who you are, no matter if you bought a franchise or you got into real estate or whatever the case may be. You're a guy that's going to get behind it. Well, I think the big thing is if you just take the mindset of how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you make sure your socks are straight. You Where'd you get sure that quote from? What, where'd I get what? Where'd you get that quote from? Quote? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I've heard it before. Excuse I me. I don't know where I got me. it, but it hit me. So I have a list of quotes in my office. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. There's a few that I live by every single day. Are your socks straight? Yeah, they're perfect. <laughs> but I just have, you know, I have OCD. I'm very uniformed, um, very passionate. And uh, what are some of the things that you're passionate about? You reference passion twice now. What are you, what are you really passionate about? I mean, number one, my family, obviously, at the moment. Um, I do everything for them. We got a delivery man that came in. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Do a nice little cheer. Uh, passionate about? I mean, everything. Uh, the thing is, is I don't like. I don't, if, if I'm not gonna be 100% in, I'm not gonna do it. Like I was helping out Madison High School basketball a couple years ago and I just wasn't 100% in. You're busy, you got three kids. Correct, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, and I think drawing the line in the sand and knowing. It's smart. What you, you know, time is m more important than money. Pete Riley, I don't know if you saw his podcast. Um, super great dude. Uh, was head coach of the Howard Wrestling uh, recreational team. Has a little, um, you know, wrestling privatized thing like Vinny does at Sure Thing. And, you know, he was talking to me a lot. He was feeling a lot of pressure because he loved these kids. He knows that he could impact these kids for a later date. He remembers how tough it was as a wrestler when he was a kid and, you know, all the pressure that he was under. And he's just like, I have kids at home. I have a wife at home. We have goals together as a family. And he recently resigned from the Howling, you know, the Howl head uh, coach job. And <clears throat> it was upsetting him, but he's finally freed. You know, he's like, you know, I can come back to that. I have young kids. I want to be involved in their lives. And I think as business owners sometimes, because we are doers, we kind of take on too much and we cause too much stress. So a guy like you who's able to identify it and say, I can't put it all in, I'm out. Correct. Pretty and smart. I think the other thing is, is with the whole scaling thing, especially with the staffing firm, I'm comfortable as far as the revenue. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable that I can take my kids to school, nine o'clock, I can go work out after, I can go to the office. My wife does not work. Um, You're we building live a, a good life. Home. Yeah, I mean, quality of life is very important to me. My family is very important. Um, and that's why I haven't taken the next step to scale. Because, you know, your kids are only young once. I want to enjoy it. 
That's not to say if someone approached me, you know, that they're looking for work, they want to work for me. Um, I think you will at some point. When correct. your kids get into, you know, later years of middle school, going into high school, and they're busy and they don't want to deal with dad and mom too much because they do go through that phase. Um, I think a guy like you will will scale anything. I truly mean this, not just, you know, saying this because we're on a podcast. I think you're a guy that can do anything you want to do in business, man. <laughs> I really do. Like, so, you're just yeah. a guy that sits back. You're listening, you know, you're, you know, you've already thought about 35 different things as I'm saying this. And a guy like that who thinks that much is, you know, especially if that's all focused in one area, is never going to fail. <laughs> but I want to talk about the pandemic <clears throat> and your ability to adapt. And I think that shows true leadership. Um, you had shared a story with me. Uh, I hope I'm not, you know, sharing it with everybody else. Um, but we had talked about it at Starbucks about you being down on the beach with your family and you had this thought come into your mind and you were working with Hatteras Print already <coughs> doing some staffing for them, correct? Correct. And you said with all of this going on, a company with these types of machineries can print the things that are needed and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so when the pandemic hit, I, uh, we actually, I took my family to Florida. We were staying at my mother-in-law's. And uh, pandemic hit, staffing was idle. No one was hiring, obviously, at the obviously. time. Um, people were getting laid off. Hatteras, you know, on social media, they were um, donating to um, frontline healthcare workers. The face shields. So not the face mask, but mm -hmm. the face shield. Yeah, the shield. Um, loved what they were doing. Obviously, you know, at the time, staffing wasn't hot. Hot. No one was hiring. Um, so I had a few uh, vodkas in me. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> I texted. Don't your best ideas come after a couple of vodkas? 100%. Yeah. So I, uh, I texted Charlie and Bill Dorr, owners of Hatteras which is a commercial printer. I said, hey, I, I love what, you, what, you, what uh, you're, you guys are doing. And uh, I'm a little, you know, I have an idea. Yeah. So what, what were you thinking at the time? Like, <laughs> and what to was be honest with you, Billy never texted me back. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, my man. He texted me back and he said, call me 7 a.m. sharp. Yeah, he knew what you were on to. Yeah, and it was like midnight, you know, probably seven vodka tonic. Tonics deep. Uh, set my alarm for like 6:50. Called him at seven, and I said, "Love, love what you guys are doing with the face shields, but you guys are a printer. Why aren't we printing sponsor names or people that want it, companies that want to donate, and getting them to these, you know, healthcare providers, but showcasing the name, you know, for good publicity." So he's like, "It's funny you say that. Uh, Bill's already working on it." I said, well, can I be your top sales guy? And he said, you want to sell them? I said, absolutely. So uh, Bill called me. We went over like the commission scheme. At first, I wasn't too happy. Scheme sounds negative. The commission schedule is Schedule. Better. You know, at first, I wasn't too happy. Then he talked me down, and I was like, you know what? My father-in-law always said it, but some of the pie is better than no pie. You have a deal, let's go. Um, so the next day... I started selling uh, face shields. You went into the school systems, right? Yeah, so not, not at first. Um, I told my wife and mother-in-law, you know, I was going to start selling face shields, and they laughed at me. Uh, they're like, what? Rightfully so. Like, everyone's going to wear a face mask. Why are they going to wear a face shield, too? I'm like, no, like, you know, airline companies, fast food chains. So I kept a notepad right by my bed. I started writing down every single company that may use a face shield in addition to their face mask. And Are you a big note taker, just to take you off course a little bit? Yeah, I'm probably the most organized person you'll ever meet. But I think that's something, if you're not, you should have someone who's doing it for you. So notepad, line, line item, what needs to get done for the day. I don't cross it off until it's done. The other thing is, and I don't know if anyone's ever said this, but I always work closest to the dollar. Always, no matter what. 
um, in a sense of what your time in and time out is. Correct, and always know what's at task and what's going to bring in money the quickest. And I think that's like a trait that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to figure out. So what about the people a lot of times, and I, I hear what you're saying, that are focused on the target market. They want this dollar that may take three months uh, you know, of a duration, time of duration, versus you know, a turnaround in 30 days. Is it wrong to chase a target if you have the right pipelines? No, you obviously Explain need- Explain that a little bit more for someone who right, doesn't understand. Yeah, obviously you need the right pipeline in place and in order to work close to the dollar, you need to put enough feelers out there and have enough you know, ducks- In a row. In a row to make it happen. But I think a lot of times people lose focus and what, I, what I'm getting back as to what I alluded on with starting at zero every month, you know, work close to the dollar and make that money while you can. Make it now. Obviously, you need any business. You always need to be planting seeds for the future. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times people, you know, they, they don't see that, you know. That They're term. not making it and grabbing it down. Making Correct. it and grabbing it down. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> And uh, so they're just growth focused, correct. and that's what I, I talk to business owners about this a lot. It's a great point. It's it's money in, money out, money in, yeah. money out, money in, money out, and there's no you know force structure to extract value out of a business. It's like growth, 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 but like maybe staffing is completely digital and you have no ownership of it in 20 years from now. So if you didn't extract value along the way, that was just you were living out of the cash register. So. Kudos to you for recognizing that. Yeah, I mean, uh, so getting back to the Yeah, tell me what you did in sales. So for the face shields, um, I targeted all these companies. I didn't really get anywhere with them. I probably worked, you know, a couple weeks with it. And then I started reaching out to every single state, like the Department of uh, Transportation. What made you think that? So guy looking to do sales, guy looking to you know, understand his prospect list. What made you think of that right away? Uh, to be honest with you, volume play. I thought I would get a, if I was going to hit it, I was going to hit a grand slam. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, why not give it a shot? I already tried all these corporations and wasn't really getting anywhere with them. So I called actually, I want to say like a train company in Pennsylvania. They directed me to the Department of Transportation, contacted that person, and then they directed me to a person that's in charge of FEMA. Like, you know, natural disasters. Um, so I got talking to, with this person, and they actually put a purchase order in for over one and a half million face shields, which equated to about 300,000. In, in total revs to the business? No, it's, no, no. 300000 in commission to me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I, you know, I sat Kept down. Kept running with that. Well, yeah, I sat down that night, though, and I had a nice fat cigar on the balcony overlooking the water. And I was like, life's good. You were doing all this while in Florida. Correct. Yeah. Um, staffing's idle, and I'm like, shit, I'm going to fucking make more money now than I did staffing. And I just remember calculating the commission and I was like, is this right? Like, are they gonna be able to pay me this much? Like, once the deal's done, like, how am I gonna get this money? Because it was that substantial. Um, Hatteras paid me for every single thing. <laughs> I had the state of Pennsylvania. And then schools were starting to opening up, opening up, you know, national wide. And I was like, there's gotta be a way to sell to schools. So I talked to Bill and Bill's like, why don't we sell, in addition to face shields, we do graphics. Why don't we sell floor graphics, wall graphics, six feet apart, you know, six feet away, all COVID related, even do it customized. So like schools can put their yeah, that's, mascot in. That's super smart. Correct. What about a leadership to pivot? You know, was that led by Charlie, who is the father? Was it Charlie, the young blood and, and his son, Bill? Charlie and Bill. And I don't use this term a lot, but I call them menches. I don't know if you explain that. Yeah, Google it. It's like the highest honor you can give to someone. Um, 
they are just salt of the earth people, really good people. Um, but at the time, Bill and myself were just like scheming because we did so well with you know the state of Pennsylvania. Scheming sounds bad. Uh, you were being strategic. Strategic. Um, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we could add all these product lines to schools. So then I'm like, all right, so these states, Department of Education will buy in bulk and supply it to all the schools in mm -hmm. the state. So I reached out to every single state. I didn't miss one state. Emailed, called the Department of Education, like the highest person in education for each state. And a few got back to me, not by phone, but by email. And they said, listen, like, if you really want to sell your products, we don't buy in bulk and distribute. You're going to need to contact each individual school district. Yeah, it's a lot. Which is a lot. Yeah, we did that. Okay. You know, doing some planning. It's a lot. So uh, I'm like, all right, well, how do, I, how do I, one person, myself, reach every single school district in the country? So I Googled and I found an email list. Yeah, all of them. Of every principal and superintendent in the entire country, like over 300,000 contacts. And it was like close to 4,000 bucks to buy the, the thing. Obviously, I just did a lot with face shields. And I was like thinking, like, do I call Charlie and say, listen, I got this. Like, do you guys mind spending it? And then I can work off it. And I was like, nah, you know what? I'm just going to use my personal money. I'm gonna buy it, and then I own it. I own the rights to all these names. So that's what I did. Um, we used like a mail merge company. We started sending out emails, 50,000 people at a time, principal superintendents, with all three of our product offerings. And I swear, I got two messages a minute. And for the first week, I'm sitting at my house, and I'm up till like 4 a.m. Like I can't get back to these people like quickly enough yeah everyone wants them mm -hmm. charlie and bill i you know i went to them after like a few days my wife was like listen you need to like either not do this or like get help or figure something out because you don't sleep um so they got me the support i needed you know they had two or three people that worked under me that actually worked as me tom white and just got back to people because we email blessed so many people yeah um so that alone made me you know a few hundred thousand um, so if it really wasn't for the pandemic, you know, I just actually today, I want, you know, agreed upon a, a contract for a lot, but without the pandemic, I'm not getting that lot. Yeah. Well, you would have been set back so much financially. Correct. Yeah. I mean, staffing, people were leaving jobs, being fired, sitting at home, you know, your business was definitely not doing well, but I think the leadership and the entrepreneurial spirit in you gave you the ability to say, hey, I'm going to adapt and I'm going to take something that I know and make a couple dollars with it. So kudos yeah, to you. And honestly, I made more than I ever thought I would. My wife laughed at me. My mother-in-law laughed at what me. What did you do in total that year? If you don't mind sharing. I made probably a half a million just yeah. with Tyrus, with PPA. <laughs> and before I texted them, a couple days before, I actually thought about putting in for unemployment because staffing was idle at the time. Yeah. So it's it's honestly just and kudos coming to them up with for an giving idea. you hundred percent because they could have just taken it and ran with it. You know they were honest enough to say, hey, why don't you participate in this? Why don't you help us do it? So, and I think that the big thing is is that what I got out of it at least was I was one hundred percent in. Whereas they were trying to get buy-in from their current employees who never sold PPA. Like, they're used to selling print. Yeah. So they didn't get, like, the total buy-in where I was, like, freaking all in. Like, I was studying it. I was reading articles every night. I was writing notes on what companies to call the next day. Yeah, but that's, again, your competitive juices. That's that's who you are as a, an individual, which is, it's, it's rare. That's why there's only a small percentage of people who are entrepreneurs. I guess so. No, you are. You should give yourself credit, dude. <laughs> Thanks. Kudos to you. I don't think you actually do it probably enough. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, yeah, I like basketball-wise, playing, you know, I think the number one thing I did was, you know, I worked hard. I kept my mouth shut and I played. 
And I think if I add a little bit more spunk, a little more cockiness, mm -hmm. I think I probably would have went further. If I could, you know. Do it over. Do it over again. That's like the number one thing I would, I would do. But I think we were taught for so long, our generation, that like shut your mouth and put your head down and, and go to work. And the generation before us was obviously a lot more frigid and tough. And that's what we did. Um, when I'm able to say, I, I really don't care what anybody else thinks and not being arrogant, but I'm just dialed in on what I'm doing and I'm not gonna worry about anybody that's saying, no, that's not gonna work. I think I do my best work. And that's you know kind of feeding into your ego in a sense. But I think ego can be good and ego can be bad. You have to kind of limit it and put guardrails around it. And a guy like you nowadays, if you've grown, you've said, hey, I'm gonna wear a little bit of that chip on my shoulder or that ego, that's the good side of the ego, and I'm gonna go fucking win. I mean, dude, there's not many people who pivoted and adapted in the staffing space and went and made a half a million dollars a year the first year of COVID. Yeah. So after COVID, how did you recover? Like, was there, was there a massive uptick or, or a major exponential curve in a sense of like people needing so staffing? So there was, there was. And what year is that now? Like 2021 or? Yeah, 2020, 2021. And the thing about me is, you know, I'm always working close to the dollar, always trying to figure out, you know, where I'm gonna hit my goal for that month. And it's really limiting the amount of inquiries you get and making sure that you're working on positions that are critical, that the company gets it, they understand it, they're gonna, you know, you're gonna present the person, they're gonna interview the person, if they're a good fit, they're gonna hire the person, they're gonna pay the fee. Um, it got craziness, and it kinda still is, that you get a lot of inquiries, and it's really juggling those inquiries to, you know. So how do you sift through, like, how do you find, like, your target client? Like, how do you make sure that you're not wasting time you never know. You honestly never know. And I'm not one to like not work on anything. I'll take I'll take a dollar. <laughs> Smart, you work to the dollar. I'll work to the dollar. That's just the way I am. Mm -hmm. But then again, you rate your clients and you'll take on that new client. But it's really a trial period, not only for them, but for you. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure your time's worth it. Yeah. Um, I think we pride ourselves in that we don't really, we haven't really. You, you seem to be a guy who can read what's a waste of time, what's not. Correct. But you really don't know until that first job you get. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that's what differentiates ourselves from others is that we're not gonna waste our time. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to. You're more of a correct a targeted approach. Not that you're some tiny company, but you're a guy that doesn't have massive overhead, so you could be a little bit more targeted. Very limited overhead, about yeah. ninety percent margins. Um, we kind of pick at this point. We can kind of pick and choose what we want to work on. Um, we have a ninety-five percent fill ratio to any jobs we work on. Explain that. So if someone doesn't understand staffing. Um, so 95% of the time, if you give me a job, I'm going to fill it. I'm going to do anything and everything possible to make but sure. Is I there a reason it. why or is there? A so, I mean, we do everything very similar to other staffing firms. I think what is different is that we care a lot more. Um, and I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. We're big on referrals. We big, we're big on you know calling someone. They might not be interested, but maybe a colleague that's in a you know in Similar, the same department yeah. is interested. Um, we're not going to stop. Whereas, and we don't get paid until we find someone. Whereas, if you you know call another staffing firm, they have someone that's on salary that's going to work on your job. Mm -hmm. They're getting paid that salary regardless of if they fill that job or not. Totally. So. We just hopped on another break, and we got the news that my wife's water has broke. Woo! 
Let's go. So we got baby number two on the way. That allows us to have two more beers. Um, but thankfully, we have a doula and some DDs around here that's going to help us get to the, the hospital. And that's how fucking dedicated we are on Fireside Chats. The night before my wife is due, we are still putting out fucking free value. Free value. And if you don't see it, unfollow me. Tommy, I want to end this. Um, I apologize that my child's no, birth I'm all interrupted. I know you are, and you've been fun about it. Thank you. I want to give a couple things. Nuggets. Young business owners, you've talked about being able to pivot. You've talked about going up with some of the biggest staffing companies like Robert Half, being able to succeed. Um, family, your passion. If you were to tell a young entrepreneur, small business owner, one thing, it could be a long run on sentence, it could be a quote, what is that one thing that you would tell them? Uh, don't settle, number one. Uh, work hard. I'm losing my train of thought, but... Um, it was one thing, so you gave us two I, already. So I would say, whatever you see yourself doing in the future, like say if you, you know, you see yourself being a potential owner of a salad place. Mm -hmm. Go work for, you know, a salad franchisee. Start at the bottom. Learn about it. Learn about it. I saw it actually randomly. I saw a post today and the guy was talking about unpaid internships. And I remember going back to my finance days the college kids that came in, they were fully unpaid, but these guys were super motivated to learn, and those guys got millions, if not billions of dollars in value, free information that they were never gonna get from college. So, to your point. Yeah, I would say that's number one, and also, like, if you're not married, if you don't have kids, work. Don't be bored. Yeah, get to work. Get to work from the start. Don't be afraid to take risks. Uh, don't think that you need a ton of money to start a company, because you yeah. don't. We talked about that with the Manzo brothers. Yeah. They started with 50 grand. I started with zero. I started with my wife's laptop, and I still have it. You have a 1998 Escalade, too. Yeah. You know what? It still works, though. <laughs> it still got me here. You took your wife's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're two right. other business owners you want to shout out locally. They could be anybody in, in the Monmouth and Ocean County area. Uh, I'll be honest. I love what Fins is doing. I had Fins tonight. Sean and Pat are amazing people. The price, the quality, close to home. And I'll, I'll tell you the most, two most important things is every time I get what I get, they repeat. it's very consistent. Number two... They repeat my order. No other company or call-out service that I know repeats your order. And I think that's very, very important. I think it was, was that part of the pickle? I think it was the pickle, right, Evan? He talked about the pickle training video. I, I may be I you know, saying it wrong, but you know, Sean and Pat are big on training. And those guys are, are awesome. Fins, I know they're well-known in the area, but Fins, shout out to Fins. Give me a second one. And I want to say one more thing. Say it. It's an open platform. I'm an entrepreneur by heart. Why is my dog barking? I like to, like, start companies, get them going. Like, that's what really drives me. I wanted to start a salad company. I still do. But the biggest thing that I took from you doing this this entire time is when the Finns guys spoke and they talked, they, you know, they spoke about their menu and how, you know, there's supposed to be three things, ingredients that are supposed to be throughout the menu and all this type it of stuff. It works many different ways. Yes. Velocity of food. And I, I thought I was going to open up a salad works. I thought I had the right location. And then I listened to that podcast and I was like, you know what? I don't know enough. There's some other salad guys I think you should connect with through Phil. Let's Attila, do it. But that's, Let's that, do it. That's off. Let's do it on a side chat, but yeah. I'm just trying to say that 
I thought I was a shit, and then listening to these guys, I'm like, I don't know enough that I want to just hop right in. So that's one thing that I want to say that, you know, I've learned a lot from all these podcasts that I've, that I've done. How do you really take it? Like, you're a guy that's successful. You have a good amount of money in the bank. You're building a beautiful home in Brielle. Uh, again, congrats on a lot. Like, what do you truly take from it? So a young guy who may think that we're just idiots in the backyard getting a buzz it's on. It's not. It's not. It's very translatable. I think, you know, we touched on that yeah. in the beginning, but I like to hear everyone's story. So it takes more. a different person to, like, you know, start a company and be successful. And then it also, like, you know, for you, for instance, it takes a different person to put everything together and, like, give us value. Like, for free. For free. Where else are you going to get this value? Nowhere. So a lot of people automatically in the podcast space want to go and ask for sponsorships. Manasquan Bank, I, I, I'm nobody who's a big time whatsoever, but they're, I think it's SVP in marketing, reach out to me. I think her name was Katie. We're going to get together. Uh, Evan nor I have asked for anybody's money because I don't want it. I don't need it, thankfully. God bless. Um, and I know that doing the right thing and adding value to the local market is going to pay me so much money long-term. Short-term pain for long-term gain. And a lot of people don't live that way. They're, they're so short-sighted now, 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 now. And uh, if you don't have deductive thinking and you understand the big picture, you're able to win long-term. Give me one more business owner. I'm going to do this. It's probably not right. But I haven't really uh, tested you. But I'm gonna give Jolie Owens thumbs the down. Thumbs down. Mm. Center Food Market. I don't man. know it. They must not. My man, Center well. Food Market, coming back to Squan. I wanted to. Uh, Jolie Owens. Jolie Owens twice. I'm a little tired of my money. I didn't know what I wanted. I walked out twice with nothing. Why? Center food markets, just a, a, a center, f uh, and listen. So center food market may have great products, but from my point of view, I've never heard of center food markets. You've heard of Joe Leone, so somebody's doing something right. Joe, amen, but I think Joe Leone's is too corporate. They're a little bit chintzy on the meats they give. Center food market's coming back to Squan. I like controversy on the show, because Joe's coming on soon, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to question him on center food. And you know what Joe will probably do? Uh, <laughs> I think he's the type of guy who will compliment center food. I hope he does. He took over their spot, but uh, their lot or their lease. But yeah, I, you know what? I'm a center food market uh, all the way. I always order the great Italian hero. Center food I, market. We're gonna give you some love tonight because before that today, I didn't even know they existed. All right. Well, I'll take you there one one day when they open back. Let's do it. You can do a lunch. All right. Listen, this was fun. We got thrown for a loop. My wife's water broke. And uh, by the next fireside chat next Wednesday, we will not miss a week. Um, we'll have a new baby, boy, or girl. I appreciate it. Amen. Congrats, man. Cheers. Thank you.